Hey hey, welcome to Horns Up. This is episode number two zero, Ooh, and boom. like we did episode ten, we are back in Starbucks to do this. Yeah, I, I mean uh, this is becoming an anniversary kind of a thing, right? Every tenth uh, episode, we need to be back here when we have co- uh, horns up and uh, cappuccinos or americano in my case <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got something special lined up today. Yeah. Yeah, just to celebrate episode 20. I don't know how the stars aligned, but it was as simple as just dropping an email and we got a positive reply. Yeah. Now, this is somebody who's been one of my personal heroes or one of my personal favorites um without even me knowing about it and we'll get to that later, but uh everybody who's like claims to be a fan of metal has heard uh his music. because he's played with death because he's the guy who formed cynic and because well now he is doing so many other things apart from cynic that the guy literally need, needs no introduction yeah and right? i'm another band to add to that for even people who don't listen to metal a band like aeon spoke exactly so who are we talking about paul masvidal paul masvidal and i must give credit uh, to our guest earlier hans grossman for this and his tip on just dropping an email you know it it's it, it just worked wonders yeah and after that that's kind of been an approach that i take it's like exactly hey yeah. animesh who do you want to talk to hey let's yeah. send him an email boom either they reply either yeah. they don't at least we tried yeah. and it was so cool of paul to immediately just reach uh, like just let us know that he was on for it and then obviously scheduling got a little bit weird but yeah. he get this he gave us a time of day uh which was free for him and that was right after a yoga class yeah so this guy <laughs> so walks the talk so very paul masvidal yeah and this guy <laughs> walks the talk huh? <laughs> anyway let's not cheapen this anymore masvidal had a new release out earlier the month or earlier in the year which is the first of a trio of releases right yeah. this one's called mythical the other two will be called human vessel so all in all you have mythical human vessel um for fans of cynic or who've heard eon spoke you'll probably know that it's paul paul's music because it sounds so much like paul yeah but here's the thing this is not a stereotypical metal record is it this, i mean i would put it this way if you're expecting uh, focus uh they're far ahead of that yeah definitely it isn't cynic yeah but uh it's still so much paul masvidal and there's so much going on i mean this is one of those releases where i actually had to kind of shut out of everything put my focus into sorry for that <laughs> term but that's the best term that came to my head and the more i feel it's it's one it's like for me it was like reading a book the more you kind of effort or uh, thing you put into it that much you kind of get out and uh, paul of course in a chat talks about more about the album and why it is the way it is but yeah i think if you take away all those preconceptions of it i mean think of it like if you i would say even if you take the name aside from it stand alone that music stands on its own it's oh definitely great. definitely it does For me it's become one of my most played records in the year so far. I mean, I'm easily slotting it in my top 10 already. Wow. Right? And that's because I'm using it a lot. Let's 
there's uh, all of us end up like you know reaching back to albums so that they can affect us in some manner sometimes you need to pick me up sometimes you need just a companion sometimes you need uh, you know just something to help you feel just help you restore confidence in you or whatever uh, mythical is shaping up to be an album that i keep revisiting just to calm me down and it's fantastic how much of an effect that has and why it has that effect is something we'll explore because that to me is the art of songwriting and the art of scientific as well as artful sound uh, songwriting where you literally where the artist literally knows what kind of effect he's going for and he's making sure he delivers on it yeah. i mean we talked about in our previous episode about, about data bots i mean can you imagine exactly yeah you channeling this kind of music using artificial intelligence why i mean why brutal that metal so if you data bot guys are listening to us which will be a crazy experiment yeah, yeah i, I mean, would yeah give give us some credit when you try something like this out huh? <laughs> yeah sure anyways let's not let's not keep people waiting any longer here's paul masvidal yes the paul masvidal <laughs> I'd like to welcome to Horns Up, Paul Masudal. I don't think the man needs any more introduction than we've already given him. Paul, thank you for your time so much. It's a huge honor. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm happy to speak with you guys. So thanks for reaching out. All right, I'm going to dive right into uh, mythical human vessel. Am I allowed to call it MHV for short? Sure. All right. So. just to start off uh it's a trilogy and you know you've shared the first of the al- uh, releases with us mythical uh so right off the bat why a trilogy well i had uh, uh you know i had a collection of songs uh, a lot more than 15 actually and I, when i started to kind of review them i narrowed it down i started to see a story taking shape and right. um it just made sense it, it, without being too literal about that story i saw a beginning middle and end and i saw three parts and i thought it would make more sense to to break it up into three parts um just to kind of digest the the pieces and um and kind of what's happening lyrically you know and and musically actually as well so there was just a there was just kind of a narrative uh that was happening and it just it just kind of logically led to to being three pieces broken up into three pieces i i didn't really intend you know had no real idea that it would end up that way it was just kind of part of the process okay right. so as an aside in a stereotypical trilogy fashion can we expect say an opposite point of view on human and then a resolution of sorts in vessel when we eventually do get to hear them <laughs> Well, it's uh, I wouldn't say opposite in terms of like a metal album on on the second one and and you know in some merging of the two on the third. They were all kind of the same language in terms of being acoustically driven songs um and uh and, and having kind of the same character, you know, the same kind of territory. The the evolution is more subtle and it has to do with the the kind of the the space that's happening uh it's more of like a subtle level thing that's happening within the story and then also the production kind of shifts it gets a little bit more expansive and uh and the last uh vessel has the most kind of band type songs too it has i think 
is it three of the five I think have have a full you know drums and bass on them so um but it's but yeah the it's not a literal kind of thing where you're 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 doing a traditional trilogy in that sense it's definitely more more subtle and um it's it's for the listener to discover <laughs> what the difference is um well, you know, so and I don't want to. I don't like explaining too much because I love the subjective aspect of music, and for the for the listener to get their own interpretation going on without explaining too much what's happening for me on a personal level. Right. So, have you recorded all uh, three and are just waiting for releases, or are you? Yeah, all right. they're all okay. finished. Okay. Yep. Um, I'm still not even sure when the second and third will be released, but I, I'm having a phone call tomorrow with somebody actually that's uh, going to help me kind of uh, direct that. But I have a feeling somewhere around the fall for for Human, and then Vessel will be probably early winter or something, maybe December or late November. We'll see something like that. All right. Okay. Something to look forward to this year. Just moving back to Mythical for a bit. Um, now, I read that you recorded the early demos of these songs uh, over a decade ago. Uh, how have they evolved over the years? And what kind of made you realize that this was the right time for these songs to be shared with the world? Well, um, the... I'd say like a handful of them go back that far. They all kind of span different eras. And, um, and the, the thing with these, it's one of these things where as an active songwriter who's constantly creating music, every record I essentially release, and that you know falls with Cynic as well, is a curated collection of material that's kind of existed at some point in time, either some of it's more recent, some of it's um, going back. And it's kind of hand-picking uh, a collection of material that makes sense. And I feel like with these songs, uh, they just, you know, they told me they were ready. Um, I, I kind of had them there. I knew um, that the demos themselves were pretty raw. I had the embryonic kind of forms, but I wouldn't say they were flushed out. I mean, some more than others. Uh, but... Um, but they were, you know, it was one of those things where I just knew it was time. They, you know, it's interesting how songs, uh, you know, kind of tell you if you stay out of their way. You know, the creative process, it kind of lets you know. And it has to do with kind of, for me, with this material, it had to do with reaching a point of, of being willing to be that exposed and, and vulnerable and raw and real. Um, so it was... Uh, it was a journey inward, you know, and uh, and then the song said, "Here we are, and uh, let's let's get this, let's do this." And um, and so I, I did it. And it, for me, they're not really finished until they're shared, you know, and heard by by people. So it's uh, this is really truly the completion of the material as it gets released. All right. So over the ten years, how many times did you revisit these songs, reshape them, remold them, eventually be happy with them? Well, different different things for different songs, but I would say that most of them had the, you know, the, whatever embryonic kind of raw demo existed, they were just put away and uh, not really touched until the past year when I finished th these, uh, these albums. So it was kind of like um, just stuff that I had, you know, like, I mean, there's, there is 
some some uh, some things that are much newer and then i i kind of revisited them and said i need to finish and and see what this thing is or it was telling me it's time to finish finish us so um i didn't really come back to it i i had in the back of my mind at some point this thought that i would come to this kind of type of record i didn't know what songs uh, would reveal themselves because i have so much archival material um, and various stages of my creative process. So, but these particular ones stood out based on what was happening conceptually and uh, and what was what it you know how it felt in my body, and uh, and I just basically spent the past year uh, just immersed in it, uh, re refining and you know re kind of readdressing and figuring out what 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 these songs were and how how to complete them. So. I'd say really the past year was really where the the real work happened with with the material. All right. Now the first thing I noticed about Mythical is how stripped down it uh, it is. It's raw. It's almost like you're bearing your soul to the world. The lyrics they dwell on loss, depression, heartache, pain in some way or the other. They also seem very personal. But uh, there's a quote somewhere where you say that though they are deep and personal these songs and these lyrics really aren't about you could you help us understand that well you know it's one of those things where um i always feel like although we're always writing about our own subjective experience when it comes to songwriting you know there is a deeply personal kind of re revelation happening there's also this sense that it really has nothing to do with me because I, I, at least as a, as a writer, as a creative person, I rarely feel like I'm in charge of what's happening. I feel like I'm more being charged. I'm being driven by something. And that's kind of the nature of the muse and the creative process. It's, it's really beyond me. It's beyond the self. And, uh, and it's when I can kind of get out of my way that I find that it gets more, it gets better you know, like versus thinking I have anything to do with this. And um, so it's really kind of about letting, creating space within myself to allow this material to come through. And I don't mean that in like I'm a channeler or some kind of, you know, preciousness with it, but it does feel like I don't really own it. It's not mine. It's not, it doesn't belong to me. So that's really what I mean when I say, you know they're deeply personal and yet not at all it's um it's a you know this whole thing of being a musician is so mysterious to me you know the idea of shaping sound you know sound molecules and creating you know that all that those environments and as someone who's been very interested in nada yoga and everything i'm just kind of obsessed with with sound in general so it's um you realize that this exists without you it has you know you're just more of a vehicle for it to reveal itself. Could you help us understand what was driving you during this mythical human vessel process? You mentioned that there's something driving you. What was that? Yeah, I don't, I really, I can't even put my finger on it. It's, um, it does certainly have a charge. It, it's, you know, it's not unlike how I feel after a long meditation retreat. Like I have this, I don't sleep a lot. I'm completely obsessed with, with, uh, you know, I'm in a very concentrated state, I guess you could say, and uh, I'm completely like ruled by just trying to listen.
to what it's telling me. And um, so it's, it's really hard to articulate with words, you know, what, what kind of happens during a, high, a heightened creative process. But it does feel like you're just trying to listen to what's and, and be, you know, be of service to a process. And uh, it's a wonderful place. I will say that, like, it's, it's the most meaningful moments of my life, essentially, or when I'm in this process. I feel like I have a purpose. I feel like my life, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be in service of, of some kind of creative process. But, uh, but to, you know, to get too literal, you really can't. It's so mysterious and, you know, without words, you know, it really goes beyond words. All right. Uh, something else we found uh, you've said about your music is that it's universal because it's personal. What do you really mean by that? Well, I, I guess what I mean is that truth is uh, we all share, you know, the same truth, essentially. And I mean, I, and I say that on a, on a going beyond, you know, ego and self and mind that there, we all kind of have at the root of our experience as human beings, there's a unified kind of aspect. There's a, there's a non-dual connective kind of tissue and that is universal. And even the themes that kind of were conveyed in these songs, um, you know, the, the touching into sadness and, and trying to get very, very real with the nature of, you know, the mind and thoughts and all that stuff. I mean, I think we all share that as human beings. It's, um, if, if anyone's paying attention here, you know, it's, it's quite a fragile experience to be alive and to be on this planet. And, and the fact that we all, you know, get to die at the end, you know, and, uh, and leave this body, you know, it's, um, it's intense. And so I think we all kind of have something really, you know, we have, there's points that are shared across the board, regardless of where we come from on the planet, the color of our skin, the languages we speak, you know, all these families that we come from, all of that stuff is really kind of irrelevant in the end. And um, so I, I, that's kind of what I mean when I think of truth being universal. It's just the human experience of being alive. Um, you know, I, not to get too into religious concepts, but the Buddha spoke about all this stuff, you know, kind of these universal things that we all share that are timeless, regardless of what era you're in, you know, these are always important conversations, you know, and um, that's the kind of stuff that's always interested me, you know, going beyond the day-to-day, -day, you know, and uh, the mundane. I'm, I'm always interested in the, the deeper questions and trying to understand the nature of reality. All right. Um, the other huge takeaway as such from Mythical is the soundscape. At first, I didn't really know what was happening. Uh, I didn't know the science behind the binaurals or the isochronic tones. Um, eventually, when all of it comes together on track six from the album that's called Mythical itself, uh, that really, what I, what I found was it really helped calm myself down so much so that I've begun using this record like a medicine or a drug of sorts. Uh, was that the intention behind releasing this? Yeah, well, you know, the there's uh, the whole thing with with using isochronic tones is that it's it's kind of a it's a it's a it's using your intent. So there's this whole effect that that has to do with activating your own will. And and what what happens is is that you're using you're you're basically setting an intention, and that could be something as simple as 
I, I want energy or I want to feel um, more relaxed or I want to feel more, uh, you know, more uplifted and joyful. Uh, whatever it is, you, you set that, you plant that seed and then the tones, because they're full spectrum, you know, they cover the entire audio spectrum. So they're, they're, they're vibrating at each of the frequencies of the, of the mind states, data, you know, delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma. So depending on what seed you plant, the intention, that kind of thought that you, you kind of lay the groundwork for, it's, um, it, it basically your mind, you know, will go and find a resonant frequency that activates that intention. And um, it's a really interesting experiment in self-hypnosis and how to kind of use, work with our minds. You know, we, I've learned through, through meditation practice how to, to kind of, you know, n not to be an observer of my thoughts, to see things as they are, you know, to go beyond kind of, you know, the, the, the self as an identity. And I think what's interesting with these tones is that they are kind of a modern medicine. And it's, a, it's an empowering medicine rather than the doctor saying, here, take this pill or do this thing. It's more just like you are partaking in this process. You're an active participant in your own healing. And, you know, all the ancient medicines, including Ayurveda, of course, and, you know, and, and Chinese medicine like acupuncture. I mean, they, they use this, this rule, you know, of, of you're, you're working with your own body's intelligence to produce healing. So the isochronic tones are, a, are another version of that, essentially, to kind of activate and work with your own intelligence to heal yourself. So I, I, I personally, I'm so glad to hear that you're, you're finding some benefit in them because they've completely changed my life. I mean, I've been deep into this stuff for years now, and I, I knew I was like, I've got to find a way to get this into the work because it really works, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that you're, you're finding some benefit. How did you first discover the isochronic tones? And, you know, the way you're describing it, you know, for a lack of better reference, have you taken on a role as a doctor to the world through this record? No, I mean, I, by, by, by no means am I claiming anything like that. I actually, I, I'm, I'm just a musician, you know, in service of, of this work, but What's interesting is that I I discovered, you know, I was into binaural beats before isochronic tones. That's where you have the frequency in each ear, you know, and your brain makes up for the, the missing mm -hmm. frequency. So, and then I did more research and I discovered isochronic tones. And then I started to kind of delve deeper into uh, the MyNoise.net site, which is Stefan Pigeon's site, who actually is a doctor. And he's like an audio genius, you know, kind of one of these incredible minds that understands sound on a level I've never I've never met someone who's worked so deeply with with sound and um, and he has on his website this ability to create your own tones so I started to experiment with making my own tones my own, and I like the idea of isochronic tones because for me the fact that you didn't have to wear headphones although it's recommended I thought that was interesting that it could work without the headphones. And then, um, so I, I started to experiment with his custom player. And, uh, and then I discovered I had some limitations. I, I didn't, it wasn't accurate. It wasn't holding the tempos accurately. It wasn't holding to the certain keys that I was programming. So I emailed him just innocently and said, hi, uh, 
you know, Dr. Pigeon, I'm a huge fan of your website. I love your work. I, you know, I'm trying to do these tones. What, you know, can you help me out or what, what do you have any recommendations? And he said, well, send me some of your music. Let me, let me hear what you're trying to do. And I send him these, some demos of some of the songs. And he immediately responded and says, I really love what you're doing. I, I believe, I think these songs are fantastic. How about I program the tones for your records and you, you do a, a you know, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. So I, I created a player for him essentially oh, and nice. uh, called, you know, the transdimensional traveler. So we did a trade, you know, and I <laughs> was, it was a, I felt so blessed actually that he, that he was willing to do this for me because, you know, the guy, he's, you know, he's really at the highest level to me in terms of audio people. I mean, he's, you know, people like Brian Eno look up to him. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's a, he's a, he's like, a, it's, it's insane, <laughs> you know, the level of where he rolls, you know, and so, I um I was so grateful and happily said I would love to you know help you and do a player I'd be honored to make a player for you because I'm fascinated with your players and um so we did that and then he would ask me you know with with each song tell me about the lyrical content tell me you know the key signature the general movement the tempo and he would customize these tones based on so there's you know and and they're all kind of similar in a, in an odd way but they're quite different actually as well um and so each of the records you know there's the tones inside the songs and then the the sixth track of each record is the first it's the songs all over again but without the without the music you know it's just the tones connected together so it's a kind of a way of re experiencing um the songs but without the music just as as a tone bath um so it's um yeah it was but again it was just one of those things where it um i i loved what was happening because the suddenly it became even less about me now this is a real act of service this music is uh, you know has an opportunity to offer genuine healing you know a therapeutic aspect and as somebody who's done work in, you know, working with the terminally ill and in music therapy, I was so happy to find that I could kind of merge these worlds with these songs and find some kind of something that, uh, you know, became an offering beyond just the, these collections of songs. It had something that went much deeper. Was there any time during this entire process of a year or so that you told us about, did you have any worry in your mind that you know this could be looked as pseudoscience or even worse a gimmick oh absolutely i mean you're always going to get naysayers arguing against any new technologies i mean you had people you know saying einstein was doing pseudoscience you had people i mean there if you look historically at the the people attacking the pseudoscience community and you know obviously there are there are versions of pseudoscience that do exist but there's always going to be people resistant to new forms of new modalities and new technologies and new ways of thinking and new ways of working with oneself and um that's just part of the process you know and i you know i'm well schooled in people saying what you're doing isn't working i mean that goes back to cynic's first album you know everyone around us was saying this stuff is horrible and no one's going to like it and you don't know what you're doing and um so and we went against all odds you know and fought fought tooth and nail to to stick to our decisions i was 
uh, so stubborn about about the music. I said, I don't care what you think. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this, and um, and it's a you know. To, so I feel like you really have to get to a point where you stop caring about what people think. You know, I think as a musician, especially if you're if you go around you know governed by thinking about trying to make other people happy or, or please other people, you'll never get anything done. You really have to just push forward and trust your instincts and and go into the unknown and sometimes you might fall on your face and that's okay too but um again this is tapping into the power of the mind and we're basically you know apes still when it comes to how much how much we utilize our own minds and so people who go and criticize that to me are just people who are afraid you know or fearful and haven't actually done the work themselves um so it's really you know again it's one of those things where everyone Inevitably, you're going to get you're going to cover the spectrum with um, how how it's perceived. But that's that's the beauty of art. You take risks. <laughs> you, yeah. you go and you know what I mean. You get out of your comfort zone. That's that's our job. All right. Um, in this day and age where music is so heavily commodified, and of course you have all the chatter about short attention spans, etc. Are you expecting too much from the listener through these records? Because these things the a listener won't be can't dive into it extremely quickly you need they need you need to listen to it and not just hear it yeah yeah it takes uh, it takes some time it takes um well i think that's you know the nature of the work i've always done it's not necessarily you know curated for the 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 public in mass it's more for the more refined listener you know who's who has who's willing to get into the details and spend more time in, in the work. And those are the types of artists that always spoke to me. You know, I've never been much of a pop culture person. So it's, um, I think, the fact that you have to earn it and that you have to spend time with it, actually, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I, I want people to have to spend more time with it and to, to kind of have to slow down and to, you know, because like you're saying, especially this day and age, everyone's, so distracted that uh, to kind of go in the opposite direction in, in many ways for me feels like a, a, a good move, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, Mythical. Uh, we'd like to give our listeners a taste from it. Uh, which track would you recommend we play and why? Wow, I mean, it's, I, it's so hard for me to be objective with the work I... I don't even know. I mean, I, I just, um, which, you know, whichever, whichever one you're feeling, I guess, um, trying to think, I mean, obviously probably a lot of listeners have heard parasite, I'm guessing. Cause that was the yeah. first, um, yeah. So, um, maybe into the war, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of a more assembled piece. It's probably the biggest song on the record. And uh, it, it definitely has, um, you know, kind of an arc to it, um, more so than the others. So that's a that's that would be a good one to kind of introduce people that haven't heard the work. Um, it'll definitely require you to slow down. <laughs> it's not a, it's you know, it's a slower number. Um, so that would be an interesting way in. All right. Bye. So here's uh, into the wall from Mythical.
So Paul, you've said that this project has a dual purpose to inspire pure enjoyment at one end and psychic healing at the same time. Can you please explain? Well, you know, like that's pretty much says it. Uh, I just I like the idea of people getting benefit from from music without trying to bring too much meaning to it. You know, just sheer the sheer pleasure of the sound. Um, I know I indulge in in music that makes me feel good or has a beauty to it, or you know, just out of out of for sheerly aesthetic purposes or however it makes me feel in my body. And then there's that other component, which is the deeper sense of what it does you know that that, that uh, I feel like um, you know this is the paradox right is that uh, I want I want to offer something meaningful and substantial and uh, and so I, I like to go also beyond that 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 sheer surface of something that just you know resonates with you and go into something that kind of speaks on a deeper level and helps maybe wake us up a little, helps us look in the mirror and look at who we are. I mean, this is, if I can help in any way with someone kind of, you know, bringing more ease to someone's life, I feel like I've done my job. Uh, so, Paul, you had a show on June 18th. Uh, were there any challenges in translating these songs and all the isochronic tones, etc., to a live setting? Um, well, I've spent a lot of time kind of flushing out how to how to do that and it's an ongoing process and every show um, I've played one other show actually um, but the the idea here is that it's an evolving organism and um, I think the the end goal or if there is one is to bring this into a dome for an immersive kind of reality experience where it's an experiential thing so these shows kind of leading up to the dome are kind of uh, are just like essentially um, variations and attempts at kind of touching into it. And I, you know, there's like I feel like a, a regular venue like this one is is more of a 2D setup where you're more of a traditional stage, and then you get the experience which involves some projections and some kind of floating holographic kind of experiences and visuals and um and a very kind of ethereal mysterious kind of energy and then there's a you know the this moment where there's a bath that happens you know in the in the middle of the set where people go inward and and do a mini tone bath kind of practice so this is all kind of uh you know, these are all different types of shows. I'm kind of developing this, these records in a way that where they can translate into different types of venues. Um, and again, the, the end goal is this dome kind of version, which will have a much more kind of technology-based experience and almost in-the-round performance that goes much deeper into a, a visual kind of component. But... Um, but yeah, it's 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 working. It's definitely working. I think it actually translates really effectively in a live setting because it it's a beautiful contrast of like really modern technology with this incredibly raw, intimate thing involving an acoustic guitar and a human voice. So you have this contrast, you know, of something very earthy and grounded combined with this very kind of kind of you know modern experimental futuristic kind of technology so it's a it's a merging of the two worlds and it, and it seems to be working well wow that sounds like quite an experience yeah i can't wait to for some chance somehow to experience <laughs> this come to india soon man 
I really yeah. hope I can bring it to India. That would be fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, Mythical is out uh, on your own record label, Macedonian uh, Records. Do you plan on adding more artists to your roster, putting out any more releases other than your own music? I, you know, I haven't thought that far. It's a possibility, um, depending on how things unfold. I mean, I'm, I would certainly be interested in, in developing talent. I've, you know, I've worked with young artists and kind of worked with people on a, as a producer in various capacities. So it, it does speak to me. It's just a question of how far in I'm willing to go with wearing that hat. Cause you know, r- running a record company is a whole other gig and, um, yeah. And, you know, definitely another type of full-time job. So it's a question of how I don't think I could do it half-heartedly. If I did it, I'd have to go all the way in. And it's possible. You know, it is possible at some point that that could evolve into something because it does speak to me, the idea of signing and developing um, new, new talent. I really, I love that idea. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. So, Paul, we've kept you for around half an hour already. So let's start winding this down, uh, talking a bit about your earlier work. I'm a huge fan of that 70s show. Oh yeah, and I know here. you were involved in it somehow. What was your involvement in it? I worked um, for Ben Vaughn. He was the composer. And uh, since the beginning, since he got that show, I started to work for him. I actually started out his, as his assistant before he had that 70s show. And then when he found out I could play guitar he started to bring me in as a guitar player. And um, basically I became the guitar player for the show where I was, uh, you know, and anytime you essentially were hearing guitars, it was me playing, you know, in that show as, as, a, as, a, as a session guitarist working under Ben and a guy named Jeff Sudeikin. So I was, um, I was you know, the guitar dude playing, playing guitar. <laughs> yeah. um, All this time I thought it was cheap trick. Uh, doing side riffs <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was um you know there was some moments where we brought in other bands and artists and did covers obviously and there was a lot of sound alikes you know we because a lot of times with this world of television if you want to sometimes you want to do something that sounds like pink floyd but pink floyd aren't going to give you rights to their song <laughs> or it's going to be really expensive so you have to kind of rip it off without risk getting sued you know so i had to do a lot of these rip off things you know which was um which is great practice as a musician because you're trying to sound like you know david gilmore or sound like uh you know stevie ray vaughn or different like players from the 70s you know going way back it was a like there was just an end even like it was just an amazing era of music obviously you know but um that show was incredible. I mean, it was so well written and so funny, and um, yeah. you know, it, it did well because it was it was just very smart and it was just you know, just really well executed. But um, so yeah, if you hear guitar next time, you hear the guitar, you can think of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Now, I have to ask this because it's been on my mind. And I'm sure Animesh is also for a while. And we've always wanted to know this. Uh, why did you name your band Cynic? Uh, well, it's funny. It's, it's probably kind of uneventful in a sense. As a child, uh, when I was pretty young, I had different band names leading up to Cynic. But um, I remember my mother used to have this enormous dictionary. You know, one of those like big ones that you, you know, yeah. like 
this really big fat book, you know, hardcover. And, um, and I used to just scroll through it and I was fascinated with words. And um, I remember I just turned to a page and I saw cynic and I thought that is a cool word. And, you know, it just had this thing where there, you know, it begins with a C, it ends with a C, it has the Y and the I and then the N in the middle. So it, it has this interesting, I can't remember what they call that in language, but it has this interesting thing happening where it's almost the same thing backwards. You know what I mean? It reads forward a and back. palindrome. A palindrome, yeah. yeah. A palindrome, yeah. So it had that thing and i don't know on some young creative experiential level it resonated with me just purely as it appeared as letter letters and then and then of course back then you know it the the definition read a combination of things it said you know it, it involved these the ancient greeks and it said that the greeks were these people that you know believe that uh virtue constitute hat constitutes happiness and um so it kind of got into this idea that, you know, I mean, I don't know if you know much about the ancient cynics, but they were essentially like homeless people in, in ancient mm -hmm. Greece, intentionally homeless, kind of like, you know, some of the, the yogis, you know, that choose to be homeless. And, um, and their idea was, I'm ridding myself of all my possessions. I, my happiness has nothing to do with the external world. And, um, you know, that is a very, to me, they were the yogis of, of ancient Greece. You know, they were taking that whole practice into Greece, you know, and um, obviously India did it way before Greece, you know, but it's, it's kind of, it's that, it was that idea and it was brought into these, these philosophies in, in the Greek world. And then it's interesting how the, the word over time changed, you know, it became, because one of the main proponents of, of the cynics was this guy named Diogenes. And the story goes that he walked around in broad daylight. He, he slept in like a, an abandoned bathtub in the Acropolis in, 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 uh, in Greece, in Athens. And, um, and the story goes that he would walk around with a lantern that was always lit in the middle of the day. And people would say, why, are you, why do you have this lantern? And his answer was... I'm trying to find an honest man. And, um, wow. and yeah, and I thought that was so profound, you know, I mean, there's just so many layers that are so fascinating and that's, and, uh, you know, and I, but if you look at the meaning of the word over time, a cynic became someone who doubts the truth of somebody who doubts yeah. people's. So it's interesting. You see how it's kind of evolved in modern times, but, um, I just, you know, again, purely aesthetic, the appearance of the word and then, eventually the meaning and then the meaning took much more uh meant something on a much more profound level for me because i feel like i've always practiced that that the external world is not going to dictate my happiness you know um that it's more of an internal inner to outer kind of thing here so um i've, I've in some ways i became a, a true cynic you know in a sense <laughs> um so it's uh, there was something there profound that i was connecting to as a child we're down to our last question and you know this comes from a place where a lot of the artists that we featured are kind of like metal artists and uh, and we are know, a metal podcast uh, we and we first heard of you through a metal, through a metal band, band. Uh, and of course all of that so taking into consideration so we just want to know at least what does the word metal mean to you and do you think you were metal 
Well, I mean, I certainly have have a history of metal, and I consider myself a metal head. You know, like I have, you know, I'm you know through and through. I mean, I played in death. You know, <laughs> I mean, I was you know, I'm part of that that scene in a very deep way. I think what's interesting is that as an outsider in the metal community, somebody who's always been, um, I never connected with. The, uh, you know, I remember at one time, actually, I remember trying, I was, it was really a result of peer pressure. I thought that, that I had to be tough. I thought I had to put on this sense of armor and, and toughness and, and tough guy. And I, I really like b bought that myth, you know, that lie in a sense that that's what you had to be to be metal. And I realized it took a while for me to come around to realizing Metal is the, it's really about absolute freedom of expression and, and embodying everything to being as completely honest and real with yourself. It's not like the whole metal of like armor and protection and masculinity is actually bullshit. You know, that's not, that's kind of, that doesn't really, but that somehow became part of the culture, you know, with certain bands. They kind of brought this tough guy thing. Yeah. So I always had this weird, you know, I had an interesting relationship with metal because I struggled with that component. I was, you know, I was an odd child. I, you know, I was wearing yogi clothes and, and tie-dyes with death. I mean, I was totally, like, not, I really wasn't feeling very metal, you know. And uh, <laughs> I tried, and then I felt more and more like, wow, this isn't, and then I came into it, and I started to realize, wow, Chuck is actually a very interesting and eccentric and unique person who doesn't fit fit the the archetype as well he was like an older brother to me and i thought i'm gonna follow his lead you know he's out there during interviews saying he loves cats and you know he's uh he has a you know a, te a tenderness about him and i thought that is powerful you know like to be vulnerable is 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 metal to be real to be like this is the real strength you know so um so and you know, I, I I came to I came around you know and realized that it goes it's much deeper than that really and this is the beauty of rebel of of metal is that freedom to kind of completely express yourself and have no boundaries. So I you know the thing is in in the pop culture reference if you say oh I play metal people just jump to like Pantera and like kind of you know aggro muscle guys or something you know what I mean they really think you're this like you know, meathead or something. And it's like, wait, we're not necessarily, we're actually, we can be nerdy and sensitive too. <laughs> you know, and into metal, like we're everything. And uh, so I feel like that's been our job, you know, and some of us, especially with the progressive music community over the past decade, especially it's changed, you know, and the perception of it's changed, the community's evolved. And, you know, we've, we've certainly come a long way and I'm really grateful for that. So, I mean, that's really what metal, metal embodies to me is, is no boundaries of, you know, authenticity and being, uh, being bold and brave and real. And, and, uh, and there is a, a degree of rebellion in that as well, because you're going against the grain. You're, you're, sure. you're standing up for yourself. You're being who you believe in. You're, you're fighting against the norms of, of, you know, of a conformed society, you know, all this everyone you know what i mean it's really standing in following your own path and uh that's what metal is to me I wow 
Yeah, I think you've kind of summed up a lot of what we've been talking about on this podcast and previous episodes also. Uh, thank you very much, Paul, for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Wow. That was Paul Masvidal, Peter. He I'm spoke st- to us. I'm still pinching myself that we pulled off this interview. Yeah. <laughs> and who knew that you know 6 8 months ago when we were talking about doing a podcast together that we'd actually speak to him let alone pull off an interview like this yeah so yeah completely i'm still left speechless i think it was a joy yeah uh yes i'm sounding super fanboy but come on man it's very rare to actually find people who appreciate the art of conversation it and felt like uh, catching up with a friend yeah and that, th- i think that was one of the best parts about the interview it didn't feel like an interview in an interview it felt like he was sitting here with us having yeah. a conversation chatting about his life so yeah i'm really glad we did that uh, taking off a box for us of achievement i don't know but personally i feel that personally i'm thrilled that we managed to do it yeah and i'm looking forward to what more he has up his sleeve with uh, the rest of the oh yes that's something we forgot to touch upon uh so here's a little bit of tidbit we got this piece of news from from paul uh, after we shut down recording and that's the fact that cynic will be releasing new music soon yeah that's quite exciting to be honest yes absolutely uh i honestly the last thing that they released that single humanoid yeah I loved it. For me, it seemed like a progression from Trace to Nair. Yes, it harked back to Trace to Nair more than Kindly Bend to Free Us. It yeah. sounded more sharp, concise, crisp, yeah. and more true to the Cynic sound as such, right? Yeah. So that that's why I'm quite excited to see what Paul has in store for us, especially now coming from an album, uh, especially after something. which he's done as a solo artist. I yeah. think it's time to get his energies back and concentrate a bit more on Cynic. Yeah. I would love to see that happen. Paul, whatever happens next, we're with you and we'll want to talk to and you we'll about it. I want to talk sure. to you about it again. I hope you would want to talk to us uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from, that was episode from the two fanboys in India. So that was episode 20. Um wow, I still can't believe it happened. Let's see what different avenues or different topics we talk about next week. I really don't know what's going to happen. Let's see what no no teaser this time. No teaser this time. No no inadvertent uh spoilage. Yeah. Either. But yeah. Anyways, until the next time guys. Horns up. Horns up. <laughs>